Local independent restaurants are a vital part of the Portland community and could really use a hand up. Tell your local representative to support the Restaurants Act. Learn more and get started at saverestaurants.com. Right at the Fork is proud to present this episode of the Joy of Drinking podcast. listeners to another episode of the joy of drinking podcast my name is joy church and i'm your host and wow happy holidays everybody it's amazing that we're already we just finished up with thanksgiving how is that even possible 2020 is almost over thank goodness we're hoping for a better 2021 right so i am joined today by katie connors uh katie is just such a huge advocate for the Oregon restaurant and bar scene, the whole industry. If you have not followed her yet, please do. Um, Katie is a powerhouse and has really become the voice for the Oregon food and beverage industry. Katie, thank you so much for being with us today. How are you? I'm doing really good. Thank you so much for having me, Joy. This is this is great, you know? So Katie, you started, oh, early in COVID, right, with what was then the Oregon Independence Independent Restaurant Alliance or something, and it's morphed into Independent Restaurant Alliance of Oregon, right? Yes, it was the Portland Independent Restaurant Alliance. So when we first established, it was in March, um, and it was literally right before Kate Brown announced the shutdown. I believe we met like on March, Friday, March 13th. Um, and she announced the shutdown on March 16th. Um, and it was the Portland Independent Restaurant Alliance at first, um, a completely community-driven uh, group of restaurant owner operators here in town. And then as we continued our work on advocacy and representation and pushing forth legislation and um, community building and coalition building, we just really, we, you know, and it was actually cocktails to go uh, that made us really understand that we needed to be a statewide coalition. Wow. So you've been really thrown into this mix, <laughs> like yeah. it or not. Yeah, you were yep. you were selected as the the voice of reason for all of these major issues. So, listeners, as you know, because the listeners here tend to care about drinks and they care cool. about the food and beverage industry everywhere, but in Oregon and in Portland in particular, you know, this to go cocktail piece has been such um, a desire since the beginning of COVID, and that was really you know the intention is really really important right because we had even by what may we had 80 percent of the oregon service industry workforce was laid off yes right so that accounted almost for what two-fifths of laid off workers in oregon so this is a huge huge issue for the economy to not have restaurants and bars available to do their full service work and so to go go cocktails seemed like hey this is a easy fairly streamlined thing to get done to help restaurants and bars survive, to keep their businesses alive, to keep their employees employed and keep things moving forward for the future. And with what, 30 plus states in by June, I think, had to go cocktails that they had not had before. So of course, Oregon's like, hey, we love our drinks. It's not going to be a problem. And boom, here we are in almost December and we still do not have to go cocktails. So, Katie, can you walk us through that a little bit for those of us who don't understand all of the ins and outs of the Liquor Commission and state regulations, all these things? What is what's the holdup? What is what's been the problem? 
So here in Oregon, we are a controlled state, um, which means that our laws, the laws around liquor um, are held within legislation. So they are held within state regulatory legislation. Um, and the OLCC, um, our Oregon Liquor Control Commission, is the enforcer of those laws. They are not the maker of those laws. And I think so right off the bat, um, we as you know, consumers of alcohol and sellers of alcohol, um, we are used to dealing directly with the OLCC and we know that they are a function of the state. And so we, I think a lot of us like right at the beginning of this automatically assumed that the OLCC had the power to change these rules in order to get cocktails to go. They don't, they just really don't. Um, they have actually been really supportive of Cocktails To Go most of this time, um, since we've started engaging with them back in June. And um, they let us know right away that they, this, is not, this is not their game. Um, this, this has to be done through legislative action and legislative action means that in the state of Oregon, the way that our laws are built, um, our legislators, so our state representatives and our state senators have to gather and vote on a bill that would change the law, the statewide Oregon law, to allow cocktails to go. Which, um, it's usually here in Oregon, our, our legislators only gather once a year, and that um, starts in January and goes all the way through March. And during that time, it's a regular session. During that time, there is a lot of bills presented and voted through um, and they take all year to write those bills and come up with an agenda, and it's something that they're really used to. And so in order to get the legislators to convene outside of that regular session, there has to be a special session. And due to the crisis of COVID-19, um, there has been a few special sessions outside of the regular session. There was one in June, um, and Cocktails to Go at that point was, I think there was some bills that were trying to get through to become on the agenda. Um, but it did not get passed. It did not have the support of the senators and legislators. And there just wasn't enough urgency behind it for whatever reason. And at that point, we hadn't really come into play. Um, we started really, we, I think a lot of us just assumed, and this is before, like, you know, to, to a certain sense, it was just pure ignorance. I think that we assumed that this was going to happen without having to be a huge community effort behind it um, because it just seemed like the logical pathway. And so um, in June, there was a special session. Cocktails to Go didn't make it on the agenda. And then again in August, this is when we started really looking into the ins and, out, ins and outs of how, how do we get this passed. In August, there was a special session, and we started really working with state representatives and lobbyists and people in Salem to try to figure out how to get this on the agenda. And it just became obvious that no one had spent any time or energy and making a bill. So in order to even get to the point of an agenda, you have to write legislative draft. And in order to get legislative draft done, you have to have sponsors. You have to have a rep, like, a, like a state representative sponsor and a senator um, that will co-sponsor a bill through the House and get the lawyers in Salem to basically write legislation in order to get it even presented to become on the agenda. Um, and no one had even written a bill. So... Right, you're like, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right, there's so much to unravel, right? It's not just like, so oh, let's get on the agenda. 
okay, yeah, you don't just, were, you know, show a yeah. call and say, put me on the agenda. Okay, sure. It's like, oh, it's, it's politics. It's government. It doesn't it's work. It's politics. It's bureaucracy. <laughs> yes. And it's also, at this point, we weren't even a nonprofit. We were just a very loose coalition of restaurant owners and operators. We didn't have any budget. We didn't have any money. We didn't have any sort of like legislative agenda. We didn't, and it, even as a nonprofit, we can't really have a legislative agenda um, because we have to be focusing a lot of other things as well. So, and people kept telling us to default to um, the, re- the restaurant lobbying groups that are already in Salem. Um, and so we thought that that work was already taking place. And we just wanted to, you know, volunteer our voices on the independent restaurant side um, in order to help this cause. But it really, it came down to the fact that no one had even put this under their radar in a very serious way and was putting money behind it and energy behind it. Um, so... And we, we knew that if we didn't get this passed, if we didn't get um, cocktails to go past, that we would see hundreds of bars shutter over the, right. and this was in August, over the coming six months. Um, yes. So, and we have. And we have, we are seeing it. We have, we have yes. seen it. We have, I mean, in Portland alone, we've seen our favorite places like Real Amen and um, Rum Club and uh, Scotch Lodge and all of these different places that really represent who we are close their doors for an indefinite amount of time um, and not know what their what options they they have and it's because they haven't been able to to profit on the income that liquor and booze allow um, on mass which is on it to go right right and so when you approach these restaurant associations thinking that some work had been done why do you think there hadn't been a push at that point because there were so many other COVID-related issues. I mean, what are your thoughts about how that went down or didn't go down? Yeah, so, um, you know, politics are politics. And so when you have, so these restaurant associations, if you have five things you want and maybe a couple of them have to do a lot to do with monetary benefits, such as tax breaks or um I don't know. Like, there's a lot of different things that go into the pot. Um, And if you have five things you want and it becomes obvious that you only are going to get a guaranteed one or two things on the agenda, you pick and choose. Um, And restaurant, you know, the Chipotle's, the Applebee's, the Marriott's, the big money business that is restaurants and bars aren't really going to, this cocktails to go are not going to make a huge difference. Right. Let's just call it how it is. Um, It's not going to make a huge difference to these cheesecake factories, you know, like these chain restaurants that are going to be the ones that have the most lobbying power in Salem. It's going to make a difference to the small independent restaurants and bars of the state. Um, It's going to have a much larger impact on us than it does on the big money. Right, right, right. It's always that's unfortunately that sort of follow the money kind of thing, right, is real. It is so real. (laughs) Right. And for the, you know, you're talking about writing the bill, getting things on the agenda, getting sponsors to write the bill, all of these things. So when you start to dissect it, it's it's just this big chain of connected things that have to happen that that you're trying to unravel. That if you're not part of the political scene, how, why would you even know about it? Right. I mean, you know, who would know all of these things? Right. It's like. Yes. It's it's a lot to unpack when it's like, okay, well, I'm in the restaurant industry. This is not. This politic stuff is not my scene, right? Yeah. So it's yeah, really it's, a lot to sort out. And is. with my understanding is that when the initial idea of, of like, okay, well, let's 
get a bill put together, let's try to get it on the agenda in the summertime, that, you know, then it's to realize, well, okay, you've got a lot of state representatives that you've got to get behind it, right? And so that's a whole other push. And you're talking about a volunteer group that's just forming. Who is supposed to be contacting them, right? Who's supposed to be, you know, putting the messaging together and reaching out and trying to get on their own calendars to talk to those representatives. It's just yeah. so much effort and it you've is. come such a long way. I mean, good grief. I know it's been such a journey, but um, so tell us for some hope because I know you've been working so hard on this. So many people have, but again, you really, really have put in so much effort. Um, tell us what the, the latest is. What are we hoping for in December? So at this point we have a bill. We have, I think there's actually a couple of bills. Um, we have worked with Rep. Rob Nose, who's actually from here in Portland, and Senator Steiner Hayward, who's from the West Side. Um, they co-sponsored a bill, and we have a legislative draft. And we have been able to garner the support of some really important people, um, and in, including uh, State Representative and Speaker of the House, Tina Kotek. Um, she, has, she has gone forth and called for a session. But... Here's the thing, even though the Speaker of the House has called for a session, that doesn't mean it's going to happen. There's two ways a session can be called. Either the governor just executive orders a session. Um, and in this case, because COVID-19 is a reality, um, it has to be a remote ses special session, which in order to have a remote special session, which means they'd be calling in via Zoom, Kate Brown has to call a catastrophic, she has to declare a catastrophic disaster and then call for a remote special session, which has never happened in Oregon history, period. Um, so there's that. So Kate Brown can either declare a catastrophe and convene a remote special session, or the Speaker of the House and the Senate President, which in this case, it's Senate President Courtney, who is the Senator out of Salem, could come together and do the same. But he, Tina, Tina Kotek at this point needs Peter Courtney to step up and say, Let's do this together. Let's convene a special session. Um, we need one of them to happen. Right. Um, at this point, we have enough support within the House of Representatives and within Senate. And then also, you know, Mayor Ted Wheeler has come out and will be coming out publicly soon um, to support us. Um, and we have the support of many different groups at this point. And if we have a special session, we are pretty sure, you know, there's nothing guaranteed. We're pretty sure we would be on the agenda. And if we're on the agenda, that basically means we got it in. Right, right. Once you get to that point, yes, there's enough support to get it on the agenda. So the support is yes, it's going to be voted in. Yes, right. They, they won't put anything on the agenda that they know won't be voted in. Right. Because of politics. Yes. <laughs> People don't like to lose. Yes. So um, if it makes it onto the agenda, which we are pretty sure we can get it there. Um, mm -hmm. That's and the way that we get it there is um, every single one of us calling our state representatives and rallying behind it and being like, yeah, this is what we want. This will help our businesses. This will help us employ individuals. Um, so we just need a special session called. Right. That's where we're at. And it does sound like it's possible for December. It is. Yes. I mean, given the fact that there's a lot of other COVID-19 specific issues that need to be addressed, such as a commercial eviction moratorium, a residential eviction moratorium, which um, the current residential eviction moratorium expires December 31st. So there's a lot of, you know, 
renters, um, landlord issues that needs to be addressed, and then budgetary issues. I mean, we are also advocating for a stabilization fund for restaurants and bars um, because, you know, all of the CARES Act stuff, which was passed by federal government, expires as of December 31st as well. Um, and it doesn't look like we're going to see another stimulus package passed before the new year, right. which means um, between, you know, there's like a good old, between the inauguration of our new president, um, there's going to be about 30 days in which everything is going to lapse, which a lot of protections will be gone as well, um, including UI protection. And there's just a lot of different COVID-19 specific things that need to be addressed before the new year. Right. And there is that concern that even this, you know, this 30 day piece, yeah, in March, 30 days was like, ah, I can hold off for 30 days. But now that we're talking December into January, yes. that another 30 days, right, after eight, nine months, it's like, okay, this is on, you know, places that are truly on the verge of collapse. Yes, and people are on the verge of losing their homes. Exactly. Um, in the middle of winter without any employment, and their, children's aren't in sc- their children are not in school. And there's just, it's a very complex time. And Tina Kotek has been wonderful in advocating, you know, we, saying that we have, to, and she's also from St. John's. Portland is just repping hard here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, that we have to address these things, or we're going to face extreme houselessness in the middle of the winter. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's, you know, important that we constantly talk about, you know, these real time connections. So, you know, this isn't just a singular issue. Oh, I own a restaurant. So of course, I want to go cocktails. It is not a singular kind of issue. That same person owns a restaurant, employs other people who also have apartments, homes, they are part of the community. And they are they're going to lose their where they live. Right. And where are their children supposed to go at that point? This is a deep, deep community issue. It is. So, you know, we already have, of course, houselessness has 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 been on the, on the rise and now with COVID certainly is and will continue to be. So, you know, however you as a listener plug into this issue, these are the things that need to happen so we can affect positive change for our community so they don't completely fall apart. You Absolutely. know, we're talking about 2021, 20, 22, and 10 years down the road of having brick and mortar businesses that are just boarded up, right? I mean, murals are cool and everything, but they don't provide enough for the economy, right? And we do know that, you know, big businesses are waiting in the wings to buy up large swaths of property and they don't mind having them boarded up for 10 years. So, you know, your home values will go down. I mean, these are real things. And yes, they go back to things like to-go cocktails, getting this kind of thing passed these are real, you know, human issues when you get back to the real heart of things. Um, you know, I think it's just such a it's such a hardship because so many people on so many levels have been working on this for so long. And it's just been such a slog <laughs> that hasn't, you know, there have been internal changes. But for the person, it's like, I just want to order a cocktail to support my local bar. Can I get something to go? It's still a no. It's so frustrating. You know, even Michael Russell for the Oregonian for the online version called OregonLive.com. I mean, April 28th, right? He interviewed Ricky Gomez, the owner operator of Palomar, the great bar here in town. And, you know, it's like, we're not surviving. You know, Ricky was a spokesperson for several restaurants and bars that were already in April weren't making it. And so here we are. You know, the final couple days of November 
and we've done nothing to support people. This is it's not an, this is not okay, right? It's just a it's a it's a humanitarian crisis at this point. Um, so I so appreciate everything that you're doing, Katie, to support everybody. I also wanted to address something that I hear from people. Some people, I think, speculate that are one of the reasons to go cocktails hasn't happened in Oregon is because there are kind of prohibitionists who really don't want, if they had their way, we wouldn't have cocktails at all, right? We wouldn't have, we wouldn't have bars, that sort of thing. And so is there any um, truth to that, that there's, there are groups out there who are really trying to put a wedge between this hap between what, what your desires are, what our desires are and what theirs are? Um, I think, you know, I have one group in mind, um, and, you know, it's not really anymore. You know yeah. what I mean? I think that, that, that those conversations happened in June. And I think that um, when you talk about, and also, there are, yes, of course, there's going to be people in this world that believe that cocktails are bad and booze is bad and substance is bad and all these different things. And, you know, there are some, certain individuals in the government that can't actually come out in support of cocktails to go publicly because they're advocating for consumption of alcohol. Um, and we are dealing with a health and safety issue right now, like a larger health and safety issue that is COVID-19. Um, but when it comes down to it, when we sit down with our representatives, when we sit in a meeting, they understand that, you know, and this is what you were talking about earlier. And this is something that we've been having these, these educational conversations with representatives and senators that we, you have to paint the picture that this is a much larger thing than booze. Um, this is not about liquor. This is about economy. This is about jobs. This is about a network of vendors, producers, um, stabilization. Um, you know, it's one of the, like, it's having the conversation. It's like, listen, we're not going to be just slinging cocktails at the door like crazy. This isn't going to be Las Vegas or New Orleans. This is selling a couple hundred dollars of cocktails to go a day adds up over a month. And that way a restaurant or a bar can pay their rent. And you know what? That rent is going into a landlord's pocket and that money is going into a bank. It's just, this is a, this is a streamline of money and economy. Um, people can employ one other person. And if every restaurant can employ one extra person, then that's hundreds of people that can go back into the market. So I think that the conversation around prohibitionists and that sort of mentality, um, I, I don't think it has the importance that it may have had earlier on in this conversation. Right. Yeah. I think that our state representatives have understood that this is um, a little bit more, but this is a larger picture issue. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is an economic recovery issue. It is. Um, an economic stabilization, stabilization issue. And again, a, a community keeping our city in good shape. Yeah. These are the, the big issues that keeping our state as a viable, vibrant place to live. Um, those are the issues, but I, you know, I have heard that a little bit like, well, are there groups that are really opposed to this and they are driving a wedge? And I do think you're right. Early on, of course, people express their concerns. Yes. It's the reactionary sort of like, oh my God, booze to go. Right. Right. And the, and then the realities of that for the other states that have done to go cocktails, which I think again, now there are at least, at least 34 states who are doing to go cocktails. Um, and they're just not seeing those numbers spike. In concerns around people that are trying to stay sober um, with the consideration for, oh, underage drinking, those kinds of things. They just have not played out in numbers to see that, oh, okay, well, these concerns are 
they're important safety health concerns. However, they just haven't played out in the, in the way that they thought they might, thank goodness. And so those reasons just are not at the forefront of this much larger, as you said, COVID-19 economic stabilization and recovery effort. So Katie, for our last couple of minutes together, can you tell people again, I know you've been preaching to the choir for months now, but for those who maybe haven't participated at this level until now they're listening to the podcast, what should they do? What should we as individuals do over the next, what week, month? Tell us what, what you need from us. All right. So here's the thing is that, you know, this is a major community effort. This is a grassroots effort. Um, and this is what it's become because like we said, there's people in Salem that are just not really engaging in this. So what we have to do is engage with our folks in Salem, which is our state representatives and our state senators and governor Kate Brown. So, um, we actually, our web, our website is indprestaurants.org. Um, and there is a take action button there and it will tell you how to find your representative how to get in contact with them and what you should be saying in order to make sure that a December session is called. Um, and the more this is, you know, um, I have an advisory board chair uh, person on the, she keeps telling me, she, you know, the squeaking wheel gets the grease and you don't think that your voice matters, but as we saw in the past election, every single vote matters and every single voice does actually matter. If, you, if you're a restaurant owner and if you go to, you know, if you make a phone call to your state rep or send an email and say, hey, I just had to lay off 50 employees, that means that you're not just contacting them on behalf of yourself, you're contacting them on behalf of you plus the 50 employees that you laid off. So they're gonna pay attention to that. And they're gonna, you know, if you tell them your story, um, and you tell them that cocktails to go would make a huge difference to you and the business and your, your employees, they're going to understand that this, this, does, this does have importance. Um, a huge part of all of this is education, crazy enough. Um, educating people on how restaurant businesses work, educating people on how liquor margins work and food margins and all of this crazy stuff. You know, most representatives have never even thought of any of that. So the more people that we have contacting, whether it's, it's also patrons, you know, talking about what kind of experiences your local restaurants and bars offer to you and your community and how you like seeing them all shut down um, and not knowing when they're going to reopen back up, how that's changing your neighborhood and the feel of your neighborhood and how you're afraid of what's going to happen in the upcoming six months. You know, we are anticipating independent restaurants. If we don't get help like this, if we don't get commercial eviction moratorium, cocktails to go, um, a restaurant stabilization fund, we're anticipating 60 to 80% of restaurants to close before the end of the year. Yeah, the end staggering. Of 2020. Yes. So we have, you know, we got 30 days left. Right? Yeah. I mean, yes, yes. I think that's the true reality is 60 to 80%. I mean, think of that. You know, listeners, for your own neighborhood and why you've chosen to live in the neighborhood that you live in, if you think of, oh, seeing 60 percent, so over half of your your restaurants and bars in your area with locked doors, plywood up front that say we're closed. Thank you for your years of support. We're closed for good. What does that really look like? That's devastating in so many ways. I mean, the reason I think most of us live here in Portland we live in Oregon is we love it here. 
right? But a lot of that love is around this industry. We like being out to be able to go out for our martinis. We like to go out for a great meal. And though that's our that's part of our culture and the true livability of our area. And that is in serious jeopardy right now. So Katie's recommendations of don't be afraid to pick up the phone and email every day, right? These things are important and each of us truly matter. You know, by not picking up the phone, by not emailing, you are making a choice about how your city is going to look, how it's going to be for the, for the long future, because the recovery will take longer if we don't take action now. So it is, is a choice to not call, to not email. So those things are really important. Katie, thank you so much. And last words, last things that you want to share before we sign off for the day. You know, I think I, I really believe in the reason why I do the work that I do is because I love the city so much. Um, I love it because of its um, ability to make amazing things and be a welcoming place for all, um, especially in the food scene. And um, I really do believe in it. And I think that it's worth fighting for. Um, and that is kind of, you know, it, it, all of us should, you know, this place is worth fighting for it. And we are going to, we're at this point where we are going to have to fight for it a little bit. Um, and it's just a phone or email away, phone call or email away. Yes. Thank you, Katie. Yeah. So listeners, I hope that you really, um, got a lot of good information, some, you know, reality about what's going on with the to-go cocktail thing. What's happening with it and why should I care? And what am I supposed to do? I think um, thanks to Katie, we got a lot of those answers, all those answers today and about our next next action steps. Uh, Katie gave us several calls to action that I hope we each will undertake over the next weeks until the special session does happen. Um, So Katie, thank you so much for all of the work that you do. And I know I think you're fully volunteering, right? So also, Katie didn't say people can donate as well. So again, go to indprestaurants.org and you there's a there's a donation page, which would be very meaningful as well, because people like Katie are putting in hundreds of hours to save our restaurants and bars. So Katie, thank you so much. And listeners, thank you. And thanks to Chris and Court of Right at the Fork for allowing me this opportunity to do the Joy of Drinking podcast. And listeners, your feedback is really important. So please share with us. Um, I'm on Instagram, the Joy of Drinking podcast. And you can also, you know, always email me to jcplayswithfood at gmail.com. Katie, thank you so much. Happy holidays to you. And I hope we'll hear great things, positive things very, very soon. We're just waiting for that Christmas miracle. <laughs> That's <laughs> thank right. Thank you, Joy. Thank you. Thank Take you care. So Bye, listeners. The Joy of Drinking podcast is produced by Joy Church, executive produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson, in association with Right at the Fork.